Hey everyone, welcome to a very special episode of Lunch Therapy. I'm your host, unlicensed lunch therapist, Adam Roberts. Today we have a very special guest, Melissa Clark from the New York Times, who is an expert at cooking Thanksgiving dinner, and she's here to answer all of your Thanksgiving-related questions. I pulled my listeners or my readers on Instagram for their questions, and then I pulled some people on Twitter, and so these are all questions that I have a feeling you're going to want answered for your Thanksgiving dinner. So without further ado, here is Melissa Clark. All right, Melissa, well, thank you so much for coming on to answer people's Thanksgiving questions. It is always a pleasure. How much Thanksgiving do you have to like do like in advance before actual Thanksgiving comes? This is my just like initiation question. I'm curious. Um, it depends on the year. You know, it's really funny. So I was this year I was talking to some of my colleagues and I was saying, oh, my God, this is the first year I didn't do any Thanksgiving. I did no Thanksgiving. I didn't make a turkey. I didn't make cranberry <laughs> sauce. I didn't do sweet potatoes. You know, I'm going into Thanksgiving without having had the meal like a hundred times before. And then one of my colleagues looked at me and he said, you know, you developed three Thanksgiving pies, right? And you've been working on this since July. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot. So <laughs> that's <laughs> so, good. I mean, yeah. So I have done um, the dessert this year. I did a lot of dessert prep, but I didn't do any savory side of the meal prep. So this is actually um, the first year we are all really excited to have turkey because we haven't had turkey in so long. So. That's actually really nice because I feel like pies you can eat throughout the year and it doesn't necessarily feel precisely like a Thanksgiving dish, whereas like cranberry sauce and stuffing, like that would be weird to eat in July, I think. So, yeah, it is. I mean, it's good because it's, it's good food, but it's definitely yeah. like by the time Thanksgiving rolls around, we're usually pretty sick of it. But not this year. This year we are so ready for that stuffing. My husband was even thinking of baking a homemade brioche for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I he's mean, gonna do it, but <laughs> I've done I've done it with homemade cornbread before. That mm -hmm. was really good too. Um, well, Melissa, we have a lot of questions from okay. readers, and these are kind of good questions for anybody who's never done Thanksgiving before. So I feel like we'll just jump in. But the first question is the broadest question, which is, what is a full foolproof menu for a first time host? This is from somebody who's never cooked Thanksgiving before, and just kind of wants to know the basics, like what are the things you must have. Um, on the table, according to a Melissa Clark Thanksgiving. Okay, well, according to me, I, I mean, I do think you need to have your basic, um, uh, you know, trifecta of turkey, cranberry sauce, stuffing, right? I feel like mm -hmm. that's sort of what is expected. Um, I guess you also need the gravy. Well, the gravy, I would say, is debatable. I would include the gravy, but it's not a must-have. But you have to have turkey. You don't have to make a whole turkey. I think if it's your first Thanksgiving, you could be um and you're open to the idea you could actually have turkey parts uh which mm -hmm. are easier to manage it's really hard to get the whole turkey roasted with the breast you know still juicy and the legs cooked through if you use turkey parts it's just easier to control everything because mm -hmm. when the breast is ready you take it out of the oven and you just leave the legs in there and they finish cooking um but you know i know a lot of people want to present the whole turkey so um, another tip I would have is to buy the smallest turkey you can get away with feeding um, your group. So if you're not having a huge Thanksgiving, try not to buy a 16 pound turkey. Try to see if you can get a 12 pound turkey. Mm -hmm. It'll be certainly enough. If you want leftovers, throw an extra turkey leg in the oven or an extra turkey breast in the oven. But it's much easier to wield a smaller bird than it is to like wrestle this giant turkey. It just fits in your oven better. It fits in your roasting pan better. Um, and I just think it'll be easier for you if you're not experienced. Um, okay, then as far as the stuffing goes, uh, don't stuff your turkey, cook the stuffing on the side, 
Again, oh, yeah, that's a good tip because it's also safer that way, right? It is safer. You don't have to worry about giving your guests salmonella because, you know, taking mm -hmm. the stuffing's temperature, which a lot of recipes <laughs> have you do. You just, you just do not have to worry about any of that. You put it in a casserole dish. And honestly, I like it better that way. I mm -hmm. used to like my stuffing in my turkey because I like the turkey juices. But I think the trade-off is you get this crisp topping, like ca crisp casserole topping on your stuffing, mm -hmm. which I think is better even than the turkey juices. Um, you can use turkey stock or chicken stock to give it that poultry flavor. And if you have any vegetarians at the table, you could use vegetable stock instead. It will taste just as good. And then, you know, you have, they have another dish you, that they can eat. So I would say that's, a, you know, I would give that advice to anybody cooking Thanksgiving, whether you're a first timer or not, but especially mm -hmm. if you're a first timer. And then cranberry sauce is so easy. It's ridiculous. You could make it today. It lasts like a month. You could make it today, put it in your fridge and it will be fine for Thanksgiving. It takes all of 15 minutes, not even like 10 minutes. Um, and it uses three ingredients. So cranberry sugar and, you know, some kind of um, orange juice usually, or, or a little bit of um, apple cider. Simmer it in a pan and it's done. Um, I love so yeah, cranberry I sauce. That's like my favorite. I mean, if there's not cranberry sauce, I'm very sad at Thanksgiving because that's the best part for me because I like that sweet, savory mm -hmm. meat with like a compote. And I've done it before with like apples in it and persimmons. Like I've played with it, but it is basically just almost like a jam, right? Or it's like you're making a yeah. compote. Yeah. Yep. In fact, it, can I tell you a little, um, like a dirty little cranberry sauce secret? Once I had cranberry sauce that I had and um, I made for Thanksgiving and I had the extra. And do you know how stuff gets like, it kind of migrates to the back of the fridge and you mm -hmm. never see it again. And you're like, God, wow. When's that unlabeled, whatever it is from. <laughs> yeah. But so this happened to me and the cranberry sauce after Thanksgiving somehow ended up in the back of the fridge. And I found it about April. I mean, I'm not kidding. It was spring. Really? It was warm out. The trees were budding. And I was like, look, <laughs> it's cranberry. It was fine. <laughs> Did you eat totally, it? You ate it? Yeah, hell yeah. I made it nice. into cranberry. I made it into cranberry bars. I love cranberry mm. crumb bars. So I just made cranberry crumb bars in April and it, they were delightful. Um, I figure recooking the cranberry sauce would probably, you know, it was like an insurance policy to make sure. Yeah. But the, the high acid content and the high sugar content, you know, really keeps any, and it was in the fridge. It was absolutely fine. Oh, that makes me feel good because I have a lemon lemon marmalade that I made like six months ago, but I'm sure it's fine because it has all the acid and all the sugar and stuff. And another thing is when you have something like jam or cranberry sauce, even if it does go bad, first of all, you'll see it. It's not like a secret toxicity in there that's going to kill you. Um, you'll see the mold. You can scrape it off. And the way that jams and cranberry sauces and things like that do go bad, they're not the kind of thing that kill you. So oh, they just, that's good. yeah. Okay. So, right? Feel safe. <laughs> that's great. Well, another very quick question that's a sub question of this first question is um, about brining the turkey and spatchcocking the turkey, which is like, you know, these are subcategories of the three main tentpole you yep. know, uh, things, but so what, what are you, what are your thoughts about spatchcocking and what are your thoughts about dry brining versus wet brining versus not brining? I'm a big dry briner. I love to dry brine. Um, it adds great flavor. It's not messy. You don't need a, you know, huge vat to put your Turkey in. Um, so it saves space. And what's great about dry brining is, so when you put the salt and the other seasonings on the turkey, you're of course seasoning it, you know, you're giving it a lot of flavor. And what are your other seasonings out of curiosity? 
Um, I love, I mean, I put garlic in, I put garlic in everything. So I put um, a great, some, but I know that's not really traditional, but I do it. I'll grate up a garlic clover too, or 10. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll chop up a bunch of fresh herbs. So Thanksgiving is always when um, my Brooklyn herb garden, my herb garden, my few herb pots on my deck start to wind down. So I just go out there and cut everything that's left. So usually there's oregano and sage and some, you know, parsley ends, and I just chop it all up. And I'll add lemon zest and the garlic and salt and coriander, dried coriander is really mm -hmm. nice. Um, or I won't put that in, you know, it depends. But really, I just, it's just like herbs, garlic, lemon zest, um, you know, salt and pepper. Uh, and then I rub it all over the turkey. And so what happens is, you know, the salt at the beginning makes the turkey bleed liquid or not bleed, exude some of its mm -hmm. liquid, which is good because you mm -hmm. want to firm up the flesh and dry it out. It seasons the turkey. Um, and then it eventually, if you let it sit in the fridge for a couple of days, which is what I advise, it dries out and your turkey is going to dry out, which is what you want. Now, this is important. When you're doing the dry brine, you must get under the skin. So, mm. and in the cavity, that's really where the turkey absorbs flavor. It, if you put it just on the skin, it'll get there, but it just takes a lot longer because the skin is almost like a protect. It's like a little raincoat, you mm -hmm. know, it's yeah. like a porous raincoat. So raincoat, mm -hmm. not exactly a raincoat, but it's like this, it's going to keep it from the turkey flesh um, for longer. So if you can just get under the skin, get under the breast, you know, get into the legs. Don't worry too much. Like don't make yourself crazy, but try mm -hmm. to just get under and get into the cavity and do that. Maybe in an ideal world, you're roasting your turkey on Thursday. You are dry brining your turkey Monday night or Tuesday morning. That's it. That know, sounds delicious. Can, I, I yeah, like that but, idea of the garlic and the herbs. That sounds so good. Yeah. Or you can do it the day before too. It's still going to add flavor. Even if you do it that morning, like, I mean, most people have Thanksgiving in the late afternoon. We at our house have Thanksgiving at like seven. We're civilized. Mm. We have our, we have Thanksgiving <laughs> actually dinner. It's not like late yeah. lunch. So I've done it in the morning and it's still added a ton of flavor. Um, so that's where I am with the brining with spatchcocking. I, I mean, I can go either way, you know, here's, it's really hard to spatchcock a turkey by yourself. I have done it, but the bones are much harder to cut than mm. a chicken. Cause it's like a 12 pound bird. It's had a lot of time to develop big bones. And so I can do it. It's really hard to do it with a 20 pound Turkey. Um, but it's hard. So if I can get my butcher to spatchcock it for me, it, I really do think it cooks more evenly. It's beautiful. It's faster. So I, I love spatchcocking, but if I'm not in the mood to deal with it, I just don't. And then you just cook it longer. So I'm not a hard and fast spatchcocker. And do you put um, butter or like fat on the Turkey before you roast it? Or do you just let it roast just itself like with its own fat turkeys don't have a ton of fat so i do put fat on it i do put yeah. you know usually i brush it with melted butter or olive mm -hmm. oil um i baste it with a little bit uh, you know when i was growing up i remember my dad always had a little bowl of melted butter next to the turkey and he would mm -hmm. baste that turkey with melted butter every half an hour and turn it yeah. and it was this thing <laughs> and you know what it was delicious it's yeah but it smelled really good what, too. Do, what do you do adam how do you do your turkey I go to my parents' uh, golf club in Boca Raton, Florida, where the, there is a buffet and we eat turkey that is set out on a buffet table. And I've tried to cook for my family before, but it's so stressful. My mom gets mm. so stressed out with me in her kitchen because she doesn't cook. So she doesn't like the kitchen dirtied. That Thanksgiving is like the one day of the year that I don't cook. So... Yeah. So do, do you do Friendsgiving or do you do? I sometimes do. I mean, I have to say, I'll be honest. Thanksgiving isn't my favorite food holiday. Like I enjoy, I, I don't, 
I don't feel the need to cook it. I think things will be different, you know, down the line, like, you know, as I get older and if, you know, if I, not that we're not going to have children, but if my, as my friends have kids, I could imagine doing yeah. one like as I get older, but right now I, it's not something that I've done, but I've cooked it before and I've been through this. So I have some perspective, but no, I don't, I don't really do it. So that's why oh, wow. you know, are you okay. cooking? Are you cooking just for your husband and daughter or are you having other people over too? Um, this year it's, um, it's just the three of us. Okay. Um, and then, you know, my sister is cooking for my mom. This is a, a divide and conquer kind of thing. My sister really wants to cook Thanksgiving and we really don't. So it's perfect. <laughs> and then I'll go, I'll go over the next day with leftovers. What we do is um, we all gather in the morning and have bagels and locks. Oh, I love that. See, that's my yeah. cup. And we do that where I'm from too. So, um, all right, well, I am going to ask, we have so many questions. So let me go okay, on to the next one. Yeah. Yep. So this, this is a very big one. A lot of people have questions and these are all sort of the same question, which about making things in advance, keeping things warm, um, and getting th- or getting things to the table hot. Like, do you have suggestions for all of that? I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's true. That's the biggest challenge is how to get the food to the table hot. It's, it's hard. Um, I think you should lower your expectation, not lower them, just change your expectations to warm. Don't worry about mm. hot. Just That's what I warm think too. Because, yeah. Yeah. I think really hot food, except for soup, which I really like hot other foods. It's okay. If it's warm, it doesn't need to be super hot. Um, you I mean, you don't want a cold, but, um, so, okay. So the Turkey needs to rest for 20 minutes. It just, you be, you don't want to carve it before then. So that gives you 20 minutes of an open oven. And mm. if you have a toaster oven, you need to just like put those in action. So what mm. I would do is think of before you, um, and you can reheat, like this is when you're reheating, you've cooked your, most of your vegetables beforehand, you've cooked your stuffing beforehand, or you're doing it on, in a toaster oven alongside, or if you have space, but just think you have that 20 minutes of free oven space. You have three racks in your oven. You know, if you've taken those racks out to roast the turkey, put them back in and put them to good use and just just really don't worry, cover things with foil, crank it up to 400 and just put mm-hmm. them in there and let them get warm. Use your microwave, use your, make sure that whatever vessel, um, pick your nicest vessel that fits in your toaster oven and serve, mm-hmm. do something in that because you can use that to reheat and you might as well. Um, and then also don't worry too much about it. But I would say of all the things that you need to worry about, you want your turkey to be hot. So mm-hmm. you want 20, I mean, really it's like serve it within, certainly within an hour of it coming out of the oven and ideally within 30 minutes of it coming out of the oven. Cause you want nice hot turkey. And you want um, your stuffing is much better when it's warmed all the way through. And if you're serving mac and cheese, which Mm -hmm. we don't, but I know a lot of people do, mac and cheese is a little more forgiving and will be better at all kinds of, so I -hmm. would prioritize heating up the stuffing rather than the mac and cheese Mm -hmm. and also your vegetables. Make sure your veggies are hot. Cold veggies are just not, unless you're like, they're meant to be like a salad, Mm -hmm. Um, which is another way to go. Instead of doing like Brussels sprouts, roasted Brussels sprouts, do a Brussels sprout salad. And then you really don't have to worry. Yeah, Shave them with, oh my God, manchego and walnuts. So delicious. And you use your food processor for that too, right? It goes pretty quickly. If you just drop the um, Brussels sprouts with the, with the blade attached, you can just shave a bunch of Brussels sprouts. Yeah. Two minutes. Two minutes. Yeah. Yeah, That's a good idea. Um, Great. Okay. Well, the next question, this is a big one. And I don't really have great answers for this personally, because I've only done this twice, but gravy, like lots of people struggle with it. We had a lot of people say they've tried to make it and they've screwed it up and they want to know if they can make it and freeze it ahead or can they, and should they do it in the roasting pan? Uh, how much fat, how much flour? So 
Yeah, gravy's gravy. Okay. (laughs) So um, I think you and I are of the same mind on this, Adam, just from briefly talking to you before about cranberry sauce. I'd rather have cranberry sauce on my turkey than gravy. Like that's just where I'm at. And we don't do mashed potatoes. I mean, I love gravy and mashed potatoes, but we don't have that because we have sweet potatoes. So gravy is not a big thing in our house. Um, I do, I will make it sometimes depending on if we're having other people or not. Um, and I make it ahead, make ahead gravy. Just uh, so at NYT cooking, we have actually several recipes for make ahead gravy. And um, they are, one of them is vegan. It's with mm. mushrooms and it's delicious. I, I developed that one. And another one is just a standard. I think it's a Mark Bittman recipe for make ahead gravy. And what's great about them is that the last thing you wanna do on Thanksgiving is make gravy. Gravy is persnickety. You don't want to deal with the juices in the roasting pan. Then you have to defat them. It's like a whole thing. I would say just make it ahead. And if you want to add a little bit of that roasty flavor right at the end, take your turkey drippings from the, the roasting pan and just mm-hmm. spoon some of them right into mm-hmm. the gravy. At the end, stir it in. It's going to add that bump of flavor. It's so much easier than having to deal with the whole thing right at, right at the outset. And conceptually, I mean, I've like roasted a chicken before and then with the fat in the pan, added some flour and then like added white wine or added like chicken stock yep. and like made a gravy with like with roast chicken. So that's basically the concept, right? It's like you're basically making a roux with fat, yep. um, like cooking fat with flour. And then you're using some kind of liquid, whether it's stock, whether it's wine, whatever you want to yep to turn that into a sauce. And so I think people are confused about what gravy is too. Cause it's, yeah. Cause the traditional yes. gravy, yes. The tr- traditional Thanksgiving gravy, you're using the, are you using the brown bits on the bottom of the Turkey pan to sort mm-hmm. of make a sauce with the, the Turkey fat or the fat that's in the pan with some flour, working up the bits and then deglazing yeah. with something. Right. Exactly. So, okay. So the problem, what's easier about a chicken is a chicken is smaller. It's Mm -hmm. a smaller pan. You know, the problem with doing it in a turkey pan is the pan is huge. You have to fit it over both burners or you have to move it around a lot. So it heats evenly. Um, You can definitely do it. I mean, if you've done it before, it's it's really not that hard if Mm -hmm. you're experienced. It's just, um, if it could be daunting if you've never done it, but if you do want to do it right there, like you said, Adam is exactly right. You heat, you want to just get it on a burner, make sure those drippings are nice and hot, mm-hmm. pour in some wine to deglaze. Um, actually, you want to make the roux first. You want to pour the flour in yeah. first, get that nice and brown. Um, and so you add your flour. Some people like to use instant flour, you know, like one draw, or you could use whichever, or you use um, regular flour. Just use a whisk and really scrape up those brown bits and mix them in with the flour. Cook that roux. You want to cook off that floury taste and you want to get it to, I'd say for traditional gravy, you want to get it to like a golden brown. You don't have to Mm. go dark, dark, but just like a golden brown, Um, you know, a deeper golden, maybe like a bronze. Mm -hmm. And then you want to add your wine. Then you deglaze with your wine. You cook that for a few minutes until the alcohol cooks off, you know, whisking, whisking. And then you add your turkey stock and your Uh, you know, a little butter, even though you have fat on the bottom of the pan, a little butter adds a lot of great flavor. And then you just whisk that whisk, whisk, whisk until it comes together. Um, Pour it into a thermos, you know, Mm. they have, or cause that keeps it hot. I think hot gravy is really nice. I do like hot gravy. So, um, and also cold gravy congeals, which is maybe a sign of using good stock, but maybe less attractive on the table. So I would say if you wanted to do a la minute gravy, that would be Mm. a rough guide. And then how do you, so because cold gravy congeals, if you were to make it ahead and how do you heat it up for Thanksgiving? I mean, does you just stick it in the microwave and will it come back together basically? Yep. 
stick it in the microwave, stick it on the stove. It's really forgiving. I've, I've even frozen it. I mean, I don't know that it always works if you freeze it. I've heard people say that it can get a funky texture, like mm-hmm. kind of grainy, but I've never had a problem. So. All right. The next one is a huge one. And, and this is one that I watched your video for, and I loved it. So pie crust, making pie. Yes. Now you made a video. So I w- was so into your video that you just posted on the New York times that I went out and bought a metal pie plate. Cause you basically oh, said excellent. that. Uh, yeah. So one of your tips in the video, and we'll get into the whole thing is to use a metal pie plate to get crispier crust, which I was not aware of. And I have a glass pie plate, which you actually advise against. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? I really do. Well, first of all, if anybody <laughs> wants to see the, I, I just, so I was talking about developing um, recipes for pies uh, at, at NYT cooking. We did three videos, um, one for me making apple pie, one for pecan and one for pumpkin. And um, the apple pie video has me making the crust, right? So you can see how I do the crust and I do it by hand. I don't even do a food processor. It's so easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I advise everybody to go watch that. It's on YouTube. If you just search, if you just go to the NYT cooking um, YouTube channel, you'll see it. Um, but so let's talk about um, some basic pie crust rules and then we'll talk about the pie pan. Basic pie crust rules. You re, you know, the most important thing is not breaking that butter down too much. You're not mm. making like a cookie dough or like, you know or even a tart dough where it's just like a smooth dough. What you're looking for, and it looks really rough you're looking for big chunks of butter surrounded by bits of flour. It should look scraggly. It should look messy. It should just hold together into a ball. And I think the biggest thing that people do, the biggest mistake people make is they're, if they're using a food processor or by hand is they overwork the flour into the, uh, the I'm sorry, the butter into the flour. And it just becomes like it's almost, you know, this sort of homogenous paste. Mm-hmm. And you're really looking for differences of texture. You're looking for, I always say the butter should be in chunks the size of lima beans or maybe lima beans if you're using a food processor or because it's easy to overprocess. Or if you're doing it by hand, they should be like um, chickpeas <laughs> or <laughs> popcorn, unpopped popcorn kernels, you know, something okay. like that. And right, like big pieces. Um, and then add your water and just enough water for it to all come together. And um, don't be afraid to work the dough once, as long as you're keeping those chunks. So you you make your dough and you it's this sort of floury, craggly mass. It's not coming together in a ball. You know, it's floury and it looks like it's never gonna be dough. That's when you dump it out on your counter and you start smooshing it together with your hands. And you wanna get it into a kind of cohesive disc that just holds together. And there can be floury bits and that's fine because when you wrap it in plastic and put it in the fridge to chill, which is mandatory, you cannot roll it out. You must chill it. Um, the dough, the hydration of the dough is going to even out. So those floury mm. bits are going to absorb more moisture and it's all going to come together and it's going to be much easier to roll out. So and this you is want it really very important. cold. You want it very yes. cold while you're, you can mush it together, but you want it yep. to still be very cold. That was a mistake that I used to make long ago was that it would get warm in my hands or it, the, the, it would get tacky. And I think that that's where you really screw up the pie crust, right? Cause it, it, you don't have those blobs of cold butter that make it flaky, which I think right. for people who don't, I mean, it took me a very long time to understand the concept of why you want those chunks of butter in the dough. But the idea is that the butter melts and leaves pockets of air, which is what makes it flaky. So you want exactly. that butter. And I do think with a food processor, which is what I had used until very recently, there is a tendency when you add the water to over process. Like, I think I 
cut the butter up too much once I added the water because I wanted it to come together. And I think that's the mistake people can make is that you exactly. don't want to, you don't want to over process, or as you were saying earlier, don't want to overwork the butter into the flour. So, exactly. so that's great advice. Yeah. And it's good. I mean, honestly, watching a video is really helpful because you really mm -hmm. like, you, we can be talking about this, but until you see how flour it is, you're not going to really get it. So or it's my, fear, my fear with like a scraggly dough like that, and this is just maybe me being neurotic is that I've had the experience before of trying to roll out a dough that hasn't fully come together before I put it in the fridge. So like my thing now is to really try to get it like, so that's really smooshed together, like really compact and really like a disc so that when, and flattened disc so that when I do roll it out, it will hold together. So when you mm. say like to, for there, for there to be like bits of flour in it, like it makes me nervous that it's not going to roll out smoothly, but I guess I should just have faith that once you get it together enough that it will roll out. Yeah. I mean, okay. I mean, I guess it's like, it, it's not like there should be loose bits of flour, right, but it, right. it can be craggly bits of dough that haven't it come, you know, that it's not like a smooth, cohesive dough, if that makes sense. Right. Like you're not looking for flour exactly, but <laughs> crumbs, crumbs. You're looking for crumbs. Yeah, yeah. got it. Again, yeah. You got to watch the video. You got to watch the video. Yeah, no, it's a great it, it video. Like yeah, <laughs> no, no, I get it. Yeah, but, but I, I do think when I watched the video, it was clear to me when you wrapped it up in the plastic that that would be easy to roll out. Like you can tell once you put it in the fridge, it's like, okay, once she takes that back out and starts beating it with the rolling pin, that's not going to fall apart. It will hold together, which I think was something I had to learn in my own pie journey that you, you, <laughs> yeah, you wanted, yeah. you want, when it goes into the fridge, you want it to look like something you'll be able to roll out later. Like that was something I had to learn. So exactly. Um, yeah. So it's like, it's like splitting the difference between not overworking it too much and making yeah. sure you work it just enough. So it holds together. Yeah. Um, okay. And then the, okay, the let's, dish. Yeah. Was that what you're going to talk yeah, about? Yeah. Let's That's, talk pie pans. So, yeah. I mean, if you, okay, so this is, I did a deep dive into pie pans um, and, you know, I went on all of the other websites in the world, like all of them. I mean, not quite, but, and everyone <laughs> was like the, recommending the glass pie pan, but all of them said, I'm recommending this. This is the best pie pan, but it doesn't conduct heat that well. So it doesn't conduct heat as well as metal. And I'm thinking, well, why would you recommend this? This makes no mm. sense to me. So I did a lot of side-by-side -side testing and my metal, aluminum metal pie pans, and I used many different kinds, consistently gave me a better result than the, um, the glass pie pan. I think people like glass because it's dishwasher safe. Mm -hmm. um, they like it because it, it, you can see the color mm -hmm. um, and it's cheap. But aluminum is not that much more expensive. Um, and you can also use aluminized steel. Um, there's mm -hmm. like several, you know, I think types that's of what I got. I, I forget yeah. what it's called, but after I watched your video, I went and did some research about metal pie pans and I got the one yeah. that maybe wire, wire cutter recommended or something, but yeah, that's great. Exactly. And so, cause metal, I mean, no one will tell you that glass conducts heat as well as metal. It just does not. Mm -hmm. Metal conducts heat better than glass. You want your pan to you know, you want the pan to conduct heat because the conducted heat is what's cooking your pie crust. So um, what I did, so, and then I learned another trick. So I've always been a fan of metal pie pans, but another trick that I learned, which really increases its ability to conduct heat is to put your metal pie pan on a preheated baking sheet. So you just take a sheet pan and I do this anyway when I make pie because I worry about the filling bubbling over, especially in the summer. I mm -hmm. always cook my pan pies on a sheet pan. So you put your sheet pan in the oven and you let your sheet pan heat up when your oven is coming up to temperature. And then you bake your pie 
on top of that heated metal sheet pan. And you just get, it starts cooking it really quickly and it just cooks it all the way through and you don't need to par bake. So in my old life, before mm -hmm. I, you know, <laughs> before I discovered this hot metal pie pan, uh, hot metal sheet pan trick, I used to par bake all my crusts. Here's one thing. I hate a soggy crust. I hate mm -hmm. an underdone crust. Do not like it. I want a super brown, crunchy crust that tastes like golden butter. You know, it's just, mm -hmm. it's got to like, oh, that's what they always talk about on the Great British Baking Show, soggy bottoms. Exactly. Yeah, no soggy like bottoms. I don't like yeah. a soggy bottom either. I like a crispy bottom. So um, <laughs> I would always par bake to get that because mm -hmm. it was like the safest way to get that crispy. And you can, but, and you can do that. If you have a, if you have like a beautiful ceramic or glass pie pan that you really want to use, go ahead and use it. Just par bake it first, because then you're going to, that's going to basically do the same thing as using my hack. It's not my hack, the hack that I learned, which is a metal right. pie pan on top of a preheated metal baking sheet gives you the same crispy crust without par baking. And when you par bake um, in the ceramic or glass, you're adding like dried weights or like, or beans mm -hmm. or something, dried yep. beans, weights to make sure that doesn't puff up. Um, well, the other thing you did in your video, now this is very controversial in my family because my husband's father uh, makes the best apple pie in the world. I mean, like it's like his classic apple pie and he makes it every holiday and we'll have it this Christmas. Um, and he doesn't pre-cook the apples. Now yep. in your video, you cooked down the apples before you put it in the pie and then cooled them off. And I was sort of shocked, um, a little bit disturbed, but I researched it a little bit after, and you might've said this in the video, maybe I missed it, but the reason you do that is so that there's not a gap between the top of the pie and the apples once they cook down. Is that the idea behind it? Well, that's one reason, but really the reason is it tastes better. I mean, it's just, it's just a better, it gives you a better pie. I have, and again, I am a convert to this. I spent my whole life making apple pies like most people do frankly mm -hmm. in america what we do is we cut up the apples and put them in the pie crust it's just not as good um and mm -hmm. i kind of went down that um cooked apple rabbit hole um after just you know doing a bunch of research I, my goal for this article for nyt cooking was to make come up with three recipes for the best of the iconic pies right pumpkin mm -hmm. apple pecan and so I, I tested so many apple pie recipes and to my great astonishment, I was like, okay, you know what? The cooked ones are just better. So this is why they're better. When you cook the apples ahead and okay, I, I really don't, I can't get into the science because I, to be really honest, my eyes kind of glazed over like, you know, Kenji Lopez wrote the big article about it and I, in serious seats and I read the, I read it and I just, I, he lost me halfway through. But, <laughs> me but, too. I don't, I don't get science at all. So yeah, I'm right with yeah, you. But so I can going. just tell you that it works. Let me just tell you that actually it, it makes a better pie. Um, you know, it's one of some of the reasons are, so when you're cooking the apples ahead, you are shrinking them. So yes, you can put them in the pan and you're going to put the top crust on and the top, you're, you're not, the apples aren't going to collapse and you're not going to get a gap. Um, but another thing is that you're, because you're cooking them, the apples aren't going to go into that pie crust with a ton of moisture still in them. And they're not mm -hmm. going to exude and steam and make your crust soggy. They're going mm -hmm. to be the exact texture that you want them to be. Um, another advantage is you cook them to that exact texture. They don't really cook that much more when you put them in the pie crust. I mean, a little bit, but pretty much you cook them to the softness that you want them, which for me is, as I said in the video, is kind of floppy. You want mm -hmm. them floppy tender. 
And then you put them in the crust and you know that's how they're going to come out. So you, there's no guesswork and you're not going to have, I mean, have you ever had an apple pie where it's like some of the apples, especially people when people say, oh, mix all the apples so you get the different flavors, but then yeah. you get these pockets of applesauce in your pie. And mm. I don't like that. I like nice candy, like nice slices that are soft and pillow-like. But I do like the mix of apples. That, that, that is one area where I feel like I differ from you in that, like I do have fun grabbing like like seven or eight different varieties of apples and just kind of mixing them up. I just think there's something fun about that. I don't know. It's, it's, I, it's totally fun. It's not as good. I swear, do a side, <laughs> I've done a side by side. So when you cook them all, I mean, okay, if, if you really want to do that, then what I would advise is to cook them all separately. Oh my God. No, I'm not. That's right. like so tattoo that. or something. Yeah. That's just, uh, yeah, you don't want to do that. But so what, what, what were the apples that you recommended in the video? I'm trying to remember, were they um, Honeycrisp or what was the one that you well, tell people to use? I, I honestly, the, my favorites are the ginger golds. Mm-hmm. So ginger gold is a hybrid of Granny Smith. And I mean, I'm sorry, of Golden Delicious. And it actually might be Granny Smith, Golden Delicious and another tart apple. And so they have the texture of, of um, a Golden Delicious, which is a great texture, but they're not quite as sweet because Golden mm-hmm. Delicious are really sweet. Um, and those are my favorites, but I, I loved all of the apples. I mean, because you, you know you can pretty much use any apple you want because you're cooking them ahead. So you're controlling how much they break down. I see. And so any good bake, I mean, don't use a Macintosh cause that will turn to sauce. But if you mm-hmm. use like any good baking apple, um, it's going to be fine and you're controlling how much you want to cook it. Um, um, Honeycrisp were good. They were delicious. They were on the sweeter side. Mm-hmm. Um, if you add a little extra lemon juice, you can balance that out. Granny Smiths were great, but they were a little like they, their texture wasn't, even though I was controlling the texture, they still were a little bit mushy, like slightly. Mm. Um, they break down a little bit more. Um, and I also tried Galas were good. Galas and um, I think I did some Jonagolds at some point. Like I've done, I mean, I made these pies so many times. Wow. Um, and they're all really, I mean, really, you, they're good. Brayburns are great, but they're hard to find. So I didn't want to recommend them, but those Brayburns are great. They're tart, they're crisp. Um, and if you mix a bunch of apples when you pre-cook them in one pot, they're going to, you're going to get different textures. You just are Mm because you can't, they're not all going to cook to that exact moment. And that's actually, you know, I made several pies that way because I really wanted to be able to mix the apples because it is fun, but I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't like the different textures. I wanted like all the textures to just be perfect. I wanted every bite to be perfect. And you said ginger gold is your favorite, but is there, do you have a favorite? I know you just listed a bunch, but that's very common or like the easiest to find, like, because I feel like ginger gold might be hard to find. I mean, the Honeycrisps were fabulous. Honeycrisps were great. They were great. And so were, um, I mean, Golden Delicious are great too. For both of those, just add a little extra squeeze of lemon just so that they're not quite as And you can taste it. Once you cook them down, you can taste for acidity and- and, um, That's another thing because yeah, you can can determine that before it goes in the pie crust, you have so much more control. Um, And it does look, pre-cooking the apples does add another step, but the beauty of it is you can do it you can do it like four days before mm-hmm. five days before it make the filling. So you don't have to, you know, imagine on how many Thanksgivings have I spent or maybe even the day before peeling all the apples, slicing mm-hmm. all the, like doing that in the midst of your Thanksgiving prep. It is so much easier to do it four days ahead, mm-hmm. do it all, cook it, put it in the fridge. And I think it, and I, and on top of it, I think it makes the best apple pie I've ever had. 
I'm going to try it. I'm going to make your apple pie. One thing I really liked about it, and then we need to move on to mashed potatoes, yes. is um, the way that the crusts came together in the metal pan. Like, and, and the fact that the apples were cooked meant that the top crust just sort of rested neatly on top of the bottom crust. And then you just used a fork to kind of crimp it together. It just made it seem so much easier than a giant pile of like raw apple that like everything drapes over. And so that made it seem simple too, which I liked. Um, okay. So the next question is mashed potato help. Um, and I feel like with your interest in French cooking, like you probably come from the school of using a lot of butter, right? Like Joel Robeson. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. how do you do your mashed potatoes? Well, we don't, we don't do it for Thanksgiving, but when I do it other times of the year, I love mashed potatoes. And I believe like I, I add a ton of butter. I mean, I'm like yeah. the girl with a stick of butter right in there. I love it. <laughs> um, okay. So what I do for mashed potatoes, what I, I mean, you can, some people bake their potatoes before they mash them, which mm -hmm. is great. I find, I don't, I don't usually do that, but you can do that. I've done it before and it's great. I mean, it is great. Um, but to, to be honest, most of the time I just boil them, you know, mm -hmm. um, I boil them in their jackets and then, which, I mean, I guess there's really no reason why you wouldn't want to bake them. So bake or boil them, but keep them in their skins. And are you using Yukon golds or are you using mm -hmm. like russet or yeah, Yukon golds? I, I like you. I really like Yukon golds. Um, yeah. some people like a combination. You, I don't like, don't use like the little red potatoes are too waxy, mm -hmm. but Yukon golds are good. Russets are great too, but okay. Yukon golds just have a sweetness. Mm -hmm. and that I, I really like the flavor. They're earthy and sweet. Um, and I boil them or you could bake them and then you let them cool. And again, this is, you can do this all ahead, which is so great. And then you, you just sort of, you know, peel them, um, slip off the, the peels. Um, and by boiling them before you've peeled them, you're, they're not absorbing as much moisture from mm -hmm. the, from the liquid or even from baking, you know, they just, um, it, it just concentrates their flavor. And then so the next step is, and you can do this a couple of days ahead with the mashed potatoes and you put them in a pot, you put them in just like a big old pot. And they're at this point, they're peeled and cut into cubes. And then you turn the heat on and you have your potatoes in a pot that's hot and you just dry them out a little bit. You're going to see steam rising. You're heating them up and you're drying them out. Mm -hmm. And this, you know, the more moisture that you can drive off of those potatoes, the more room they have to absorb <laughs> heavy cream or buttermilk or melted butter or whatever you're using. Yeah, so you want to yeah. get them dry and then just start mashing them. And then that's when you add, I mean, for me, I don't usually add cream. I usually just add a ton of butter. Mm -hmm. um, and I just start adding my butter and mash, add more butter, mash. What about um, milk? I mean, do you add any liquid to it or is it just butter? In our house, we just do a ton of butter because my husband <laughs> doesn't do dairy. Oh, um, okay. But, you know, I mean, I like it with a little bit, I, I would still add a ton of butter, but probably if he did have dairy, I'd probably add a little bit of um, milk or buttermilk, you know, whole milk or buttermilk. And when you mash, as opposed to like ricing them or putting mm -hmm. them through like a, a food mill, like, is there texturally like a big difference between that and yeah. ricing? Oh, it is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you rice them, you don't get lumps. And I like the lumps. We like lumpy mashed potatoes in our house. Oh, interesting. I, you know, it's not funny. super lumpy, but a little lumpy. One alternative is um, I just got David Chang and Priya Krishna's new microwave cookbook and I made their or David Chang's like microwave mashed potatoes, which are kind of interesting where you just sort of put potatoes in a microwave safe bowl, like nuke them until they're soft and then heat up cream and butter and just like mash. I mean, it's all like super fast. I don't know. 
Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, It's not necessarily them. And what's interesting about it is like the microwave in in his theory, like keeps the potatoes, like keeps the flavor in the potatoes, doesn't leach out into boiled water. doesn't leach. So something to look at, Um, but that's great. And does he, he peels them first? No, he doesn't peel them. He doesn't believe in peeling. Does he peel them at all? No, there's a whole thing in his book about not peeling food at home. So it's kind of an interesting (laughs) alternative take, but I wanted to ask you, you said you're going to do sweet potatoes. So how do you do those? Okay. So, um, we've done them in many different ways over the years. My husband really likes them. He does like this mashed sweet potato thing, which is mm. delicious. And he bought, he bakes the sweet potatoes, bakes them for like a gazillion years, you know, cause it mm. takes forever. Um, and then mashes them re- you have to mash them really smooth. Um, mm-hmm. we can use the food processor for sweet potatoes because they're not going to get gummy on you. Mm-hmm. So you, and you get them like a nice puree and then he seasons them with bourbon clove, mm. cinnamon, butter, and it's delicious. Yeah. Uh, so we've been doing that. So, um, but then last year I did this thing, which is really funny. I did it for NYT cooking called, um, sheet pan Thanksgiving, which mm-hmm. is actually, this is great for all your beginners out there. It's using a Turkey breast wrapped in bacon. And it's mm. a sheet pan Thanksgiving where you have Brussels sprouts and sweet potatoes on the same sheet pan. And it is incredibly easy and it is so good because you've got bacon. Um, and that's a great so what idea. I did for this. Yeah. So what, and you can find it at NYT. Do you, do you own, do you own stock in the sheet pan industry? I feel like I wish I did. Buy, Man, yeah. that was, if I ever, if I, I mean, I, you know, if I, if I had any stock in my life, I wish it was sheet pan stock. Cause <laughs> okay. I swear I like, I feel like you'll um, be like Martha Stewart and be going to prison for um, buying sheet pans before <laughs> publishing recipes on sheet pans for holidays. But, um, well, I, but I hope you, I don't, I hope I don't go to prison, but I wouldn't mind being like, like Martha in many other yeah. ways. <laughs> no, no, no. But I, you've, you've really opened a lot of people up to using sheet pans and it's a great way to cook. So thank you for That's that. That's great. Yeah. Um, where was I saying? Oh, wait. Uh, so, sorry. um, <laughs> sweet potatoes, <laughs> where was I? So, um, what I did for this, and it was just so good that I think I'm going to do it again. So you roast your sweet potatoes and, you know, wrap them up in foil, throw them in mm-hmm. the oven, roast them forever. And then you take them out, you leave them in the foil and you just kind of cut a little slit on the top, mm-hmm. squish them open. And then you take a fork and you just add some butter and you mash right, right in the potato. It's so easy. You just mash a little butter in there, maybe a little cinnamon. And then you take your marshmallows. And mm. for my husband and myself, we're not going to do marshmallows or for my daughter, take the marshmallows throw them on top and then throw them back in the oven and you get this little sweet potato boat with marshmallows on top i love that it's, 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 it's also adorable. kind of like it's like alice waters meets you know betty crocker like it sort of has the nat- <laughs> the, nat- the natural sweet potato and its jacket and then like yep. the unnatural marshmallows on top that's great exactly it's like perfect for a family when some of you like the marshmallows and some of you don't yeah i think that also just like visually i bet that looks really cool too when you it looks really like, cute yeah yeah um okay um you're, you've been so generous with your time so i'm going to try to respect your remaining minutes here um what is your favorite use for leftovers i love a turkey sandwich i mean to me yeah. a day the day after um of course i make the carcass into soup always you always save those bones and you make turkey stock and you have that all year round and that is fantastic but a tur- you know, my turkey sandwich, like I, to me, it's like, um, you know, the classic with, um, for me, I have a little twist on the classic. I like a sriracha mayo mm, okay. and I don't do the cranberry sauce. So I do spicy rather than, mm. um, although you could do both, you could do cranberry and sriracha, but I usually don't do cranberry cranberry. I like separate, you know, and I like cr- my cranberry. I usually bake them into cookies, extra cranberry sauce gets baked into cookies, but mm-hmm. I do a sandwich and, um, you know, so we usually eat up the turkey just doing that because by the time each of us make us, you know, make our own sandwiches, 
you know, that's usually all the leftover turkey. But if there's dark meat turkey that can be cooked again, um, mm-hmm. you don't want to cook white meat turkey again. Like that, if that's been cooked, don't cook it again. Use it for right. a sandwich. But dark meat cooked turkey, you can cook again. And I really, I mean, I, you make, I've made turkey chili with it. I have made um, turkey larb actually with it. It's mm-hmm. great. You chop it up and you make like a, a, a larb, you know, which is um, um, this, you know, the uh, Thai salad with just tons of fresh herbs and fish sauce and ginger. Mm. And it's delicious. Um, and we, you know, you eat that in lettuce cups. What else have I done? And, you know, turkey soup too, just like a classic chicken soup with pieces of turkey. And when you do your turkey sandwich, is it on a certain kind of bread? Is it anything else besides the sriracha mayo and the turkey? If I have cabbage, I know it sounds crazy, but <laughs> if I have green cabbage, I'll make like a little coleslaw with, so it's yeah. um, chopped up green cabbage with the sriracha mayo. Uh-huh. You just mix it together and you get this like crunchy and it's just so good with the turkey. Um, and you have a ton of that. Um, and I'll, I usually toast my bread and I like, you know, my husband bakes bread. So we've got like, oh, so sourdough. So we got nice. sourdough. We have, you know, this, you know, lovely um, kind of crunchy mayonnaise spicy slaw. And then I've got my turkey. Um, yeah, that's pretty much, I mean, it's pretty simple. It's not like, you know, I, it's not like the whole Thanksgiving in a sandwich. It's just, it's, I don't put stuffing in there. Yeah. It's pretty, this pretty simple turkey sandwich. Um, if I have bacon, I will, I will cook up some bacon and put it in there. Um, or sometimes it's really also good with a little bit of uh, melted cheese. Like you can melt the cheese on your sourdough bread and then make the sandwich with that. So that those are the so variations. Good. Yeah. It's good, <laughs> right? Pickles are good in turkey sandwiches. If you've never had pickles, uh-huh. have you ever done those are great in a turkey that sandwich. That sounds like a good idea. What are your thoughts about cheese and turkey together? I don't really like it, but I'm curious if you put cheese on your turkey sandwiches. Yeah, I do. I like it. I, I'll, okay. I'll melt it first. I'll melt it right. first, but not always. I mean, I'd rather have bacon. So as a final question, and I think you've alluded to this, but this is just my own question. Can you walk us through this year's Melissa Clark Thanksgiving menu? Um, yeah, so we're going to do, tur- we will do turkey because we haven't okay. had it. So we're excited to do turkey. Um, I will probably, um, I'm sure, I think if it works out, I'm sharing a turkey with a neighbor. We're going to buy one big turkey, oh, like you nice. know, one, thir- one, you know, 14 pounder, cut it in half through the breast and we'll each have a turkey half to roast. Mm, and so okay. it'll, it's kind of like spatchcocking, but in fact, <laughs> we'll probably spatchcock it and each take a half spatchcocked half. Really? Yeah, we'll cut it right through the breastbone. So, um, and I will dry brine it like I described. I will roast it. We'll do um, brioche stuffing. I love a brioche mm-hmm. stuffing with lots of butter. Uh, I have one on NYT cooking that I love. It's like called brioche stuffing for two, but you can dirt, double it and honestly, doubling it will just feed the three of us. Um, <laughs> I will do a, you know, some really simple cranberry sauce. Just, I like it really simple with um, orange juice and orange zest. Mm-hmm. And, um, we always like to have a green vegetable because I think you need something green. So we'll either do sure. sauteed kale or sauteed green beans. Um, I always have a salad. I know some people are anti-salad on Thanksgiving, <laughs> but I love a salad on Thanksgiving. So we'll probably do a big, my guess is we'll do like an arugula salad with like a garlicky mustardy dressing, something super tangy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll do our sweet potatoes that I just described. What am I missing? I don't know if we're going to do gravy. We might not do gravy. You know, I'm like, yeah, we don't, you're not we don't that care. enthusiastic about it. Yeah. I don't, well, think we don't care. <laughs> yeah. And then what about the dessert? Are you going to do all your pies again? Or are you going to do something different? Oh God, no, no, we're definitely pied out. We are, yeah. <laughs> we are, we are done with pies. We, um, I think I'm going to make an apple galette. 
Oh, nice. What? what yeah. So I like, could like, like open like a, almost like crostata kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Some kind of apple galette or apple tart, something, you know, but with a different flavor profile, you know, I'm not going to do, you know, the cinnamon and the whole thing. It'll be like a whole other thing. I don't know what, but a whole other thing. And I know you're an onophile, if that's the right word. So yeah. what, are you, what are you drinking with your Thanksgiving dinner this year? Um, oh God, I haven't even planned that yet. I love a Beaujolais though. I love like a crew mm-hmm. Beaujolais, like a really nice old, not, not too old, but you know, a little age on a crew Beaujolais or maybe a wine from the Jura, a red wine from the Jura, mm-hmm. um, could be really, really nice for me. What I'm looking for with my Turkey is I want something fruity, but not overwhelmingly fruity. I want something on the lighter side cause it's a heavy mm-hmm. meal. So, I mean, that's why a crew Beaujolais is just perfect. That sounds great. Well, Melissa, thank you so much. This was so enlightening. I feel like even though I'm not cooking Thanksgiving dinner this year, you've made me learn things about cooking in general that will make me a better cook. So have (laughs) a great uh, Thanksgiving. And um, you too, Adam, enjoy that. Enjoy that uh, country club. (laughs) Well, we'll try. All right. Well, I'll see you soon. Thanks again. Okay. Take care.